A sign, I think, of you getting older is you know your mail schedule by a T. Uh, I really do think that's a sign of you getting older. Like when you're younger, you don't really care about the mail, but the older you get, like you start to even build a relationship with your ma- mailman or mail woman. In Calvert City, our mail woman, she would come every day, the uh, same time of day, and I knew her so well that when she wasn't there, I'd be like, where's she at today? Uh, you know, I'd wonder and think about it, and over and over again, we kind of built a relationship. She would actually, if she saw me walking out, she'd say, I got your mail right here, and she would bring it up to us. And so we moved to Lone Oak. We got a new mailman, and very quickly, Emily found out that our mailman in Lone Oak's a pretty good mailman. And we got a substitute, and she said, I don't like him. Uh, She said, you know, he left my flap down. She was like, I don't like this new mailman. Because over and over again, something you can always count on is the mail. You know, they have a slogan that's kind of an unofficial slogan with the mail. Their uh, unofficial slogan, which is on their New York post office there in New York City, uh, the James Farley building, it says, neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these carriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. I'm going to read it to you again. Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these carriers from their swift completion of their appointed rounds. That's their unofficial official slogan, right? So it's not really their official motto, but it's on their massive building there in the New York uh, City post office. And thinking about that, we know that the mail is going to come. You know that if it's not a holiday, if it's raining or it's snowing, you don't matter what time it is, even if it's late at night and they've got Amazon packages, right? Uh, like we live in that modern day package at day and age where my wife tracks mail because that's got a swimsuit in it, right? Uh, she knows when it's going to arrive and she's out there opening it up, pulling out the swimsuit. So we know the mail is going to be faithful. Come gloom of night, come heat, come snow, come rain, nothing stops the post from getting their things accomplished. Let me ask that this morning. Isn't it kind of amazing that for the Christian now in our modern day culture, it's all of those things stop the church from gathering? It almost seems in our modern day culture, we look for reasons not to go to church instead of looking for reasons why we should be at church. We are quick to make excuses. We're quick to say, oh, it's too hot. Oh, it's too cold. Oh, it's too rainy. Or, you know, whatever the excuse is, oh, it's the 4th of July. And I know you're here, you're faithful, saying, Pastor, I showed up. Uh, You know, I I know that. I get that. Don't get me wrong. I get that 100% today. But I want to encourage you today that our spiritual discipline for today is truly about being committed to a community. Commitment and community. Those are our two big disciplines today. Community and commitment. Either way you want to say it. Because at the people of God, we should be marked by those things. We should be marked by faithfulness and we should be marked by community. In Acts chapter 4, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, I'll kind of read these again. I want you to notice things they were devoted to. I want you to pay attention to that. That's my point number one. Devoted to. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We're going to stop right there. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. This is pretty powerful if you think about it. Jesus based every bit of his successful mission plan of reaching the world with the good news of the gospel on 11 men. On 11 men, like literally, he banked everything he had on those 11 men. Of course, we know they elected another one. There was 12 men who they, he, he banked everything he had on these 12 men reproducing spiritually and making more disciples. And you see this really explode after the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. You see the church explode with growth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit fills these men with power. But notice what they devote themselves to. They don't devote themselves to strategy. 
They don't devote themselves to doing a demographic study. They don't devote themselves to thinking, hey, how do we reach the censor, secretive, uh, the seekers out there and try to get more lost people than most we can? No, the Bible explicitly says what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings first and foremost. Guys, they devoted themselves to the very word of God. They said, that's our growth strategy. We're not going to give up on what Christ has taught us. We're going to do everything Christ has taught us. Because you've got to remember, these men walked with him. These men talked with him. These men slept beside him. These men saw all of the miracles for three and a half years. They truly had fellowship and discipleship in the apprentice school of Jesus, learning everything he said. They didn't just watch what he said, but they watched how he did it. And that's what they did. They took all of those teachings they had learned from Christ and they began teaching people. They began teaching people this is the way of Jesus. If you think about it over and over again in the early church years, they did not call Christians Christians, believe it or not. That did not come till a little bit longer in the story. At Antioch, it says they called them Christians for the first time. But notice the very first kind of label they had for us as people who followed Jesus was kind of twofold. They called them disciples. They would say, hey, they're a disciple of Christ. But they started calling them the way. Like Paul says he was going to Damascus to persecute those who are part of the way. Why? Because they fully believe that Judaism was not the way to get to God, but it was Jesus the way to get to God. He was the only way to get to God. He was the only Lord. Caesar was not Lord. Caesar was not God. God was God and God was Lord. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They devoted themselves to the people of the book. They devoted themselves to the very gospel. Let me tell you some church, if we lose the gospel and we win the culture, we've lost the culture and we've lost the gospel. You cannot win people by changing this book because here's the fact that matters. When we change the book, we've changed the very word of God and we've changed the thing we're trying to win people to. You cannot change it. You cannot say, well, can't we adjust it here? And let me tell you something. I'm going to say this. I know it's controversial in our day and age, but let me tell you something. You cannot go against 2,000 years of church history and think we are smarter than all those people for the past 2,000 years think we've discovered something new. We have not. And I know there's TikTok fanatics on there saying, I've got a master's degree in theology. That paper, it's printed on, is not even worth it. Because the fact of the matter is, church history is proven time and time again. The apostles' teachings, the very word of God is what we stand on. Look what he also says here. They devote themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship. To the fellowship, to the church. They devoted themselves to the church. The church literally means called out ones. People who are called out of culture. People who are called out of the community. They have created something new. Look, I like this definition of fellowship. Listen to this. It's pretty powerful. Fellowship is engaging with other disciples in the common activities of worship, study, prayer, celebration, and service, which sustains our life together and enlarges our capacity to experience more of God. I love that definition there, that we as the people of God, we are a unique people. Guys, let me tell you something. I know many of you, you probably didn't know this, but if it wasn't for the church, there would be no hospitals in our culture. I don't know if you ever noticed that. You ever drove by a hospital and noticed every hospital you see has a church associated with it? Like, literally, think about that. Where you get hurt here in Kentucky, you get hurt in, West, in Western Kentucky, you go to where? You go to Baptist Health. 
I don't know if you knew that or not. Literally, that's part of the fellowship. I don't know if you knew this or not, but every major general, every major university that started here in the States has deep roots in the Christian religion. Like literally, everything you see, for the most part, came out of the fellowship of believers. Came out of the church being the church. Came out of the church gathering together and thinking, how are we going to love our city and love our neighbors in such a way, when we love them, we can share the gospel with them, that we want to care for them. And thinking about this, I want you to understand, in our modern day context, there's this big movement. It's been going on now for the past probably 40 50 years, it's been gaining momentum where people say, well, I love the Lord, but I hate His church. Guys, this is a foreign, foreign thing in the Word of God. It's almost like people say, I can attach my beliefs from my life. Let me tell you something. That is a divorce of the very basic Christian doctrine which we have. There is no discipleship outside of being plugged into a local church. It does not exist. There is no such thing as an individual Christian doing his own or her own thing outside the walls of the fellowship. Because let me promise you something, that doesn't work. Every book in this Bible, in the New Testament, was written to a church. A local church at a local station, at a local city, where local people gathered to worship an extraordinary God. There's this idea where people think, well, I can be a disciple and not do what Christ says. That is nowhere found in the pages of this book. You have to match your beliefs with your actions. And if your actions don't match your belief, your actions really show what you really believe in. Because your beliefs and actions have to mirror each other because one of them is going to lie. One of them is going to lie very quickly. We've got to be disciples. We've got to be people who are devoted to the fellowship of one another. And you know why we show grace? It's because we know grace. We know grace, so we show grace. We should live in such a way where people see how we act and they think they must be a believer. Not because of t-shirts we wear, not because we're swinging our Bibles, going out on Sunday morning, smacking kids on the butt to get in the car. Tain and hide as we go. Not because that, no, they should know we are people of the book because we've been people in the book. By the very fabric of our lives, people should know we are the people of God. We are devoted to a fellowship. Look what it says here. This is where the Baptists say amen. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Can I get an amen from the potluck? You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen from the potluck? Because notice here, the language here is very, very unique. It says the breaking of bread. It doesn't say they broke bread. It says the breaking of bread. So the deep theological uh, impact here, they say that this is kind of twofold. They devoted themselves not only to the Lord's Supper, which is breaking of bread, right? It's a, the take, eat, and this is my body, which is broken for you. There's very much fabric here of the Lord's Supper, but also there's this, there's this uh, dualism here where it's almost like they also were saying, hey, they had hospitality. They shared meals together. And I don't know about you, but something about sharing meals together, even in that cultural context, has a lot of implications. Because in this cultural context, in the Bible's context, when you shared a meal with someone, it almost meant like you were together. You had fellowship with them. You loved them, and they loved you, and you mutually had common ground. This is why when Jesus was eating with people, the Pharisees could not, they couldn't stomach it. They were like, how dare you eat with those sinners? They believed when you ate with sinners, you became like sinners. So they distanced themselves and said, I don't want to eat with those people. 
This is why what Jesus was doing was countercultural. Why? Because he was eating and breaking bread with the least and the worst of these in that culture to show people, guess what? The word of God came to seek and save those who are lost. Because isn't it true that food changes your mood? I don't have to have a psychology degree to know that. I just got to have a digestive tract, right? That literally food changes your mood. You don't believe me? This is why we eat at funerals. We're crying. We got fried chicken. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? Why? Because food really does change your mood. It changes how you act. That, that, that for several years now, Snickers has had that commercial that cracks me up and says, you're not you when you're hungry. Uh, you know what I mean? And you eat a Snickers, you become somebody different, right? Because literally it changes you. And it's amazing how if you just invite people in our homes, if we bring people into our lives, share food with them, it builds a bridge. Some of y'all remember several years ago, I know Kenneth does because we talk about it often, uh, how do you win somebody who's lost over a thousand cups of coffee? It's that idea of you spending time with someone, not rush time, not, not like I'm going to shove the gospel down your throat time, but just building relationship time of sharing food together. You don't get on Pastor Nick's list of people he loves a lot and he really knows, thinks, loves him. Pay for my food. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's a good grace of God. Like, if you tell me, hey, I've got food and we're going to eat, I'm there. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm there. Especially if we're at a restaurant, like, I got to check, oh, please don't. In my head, I'm thinking, yes. Uh, why? Because I like that. I love that. That's kind of my love language, right? I love food. And so I notice when you don't have the sandwiches on the boat. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I notice things like that. Uh, you know, I, in the sense where I, know, I love food. So the breaking of bread was critical to this movement. They devoted themselves also to what? To prayer. They not only did physical battle, they had to protect each other. They loved each other. Now, when I say physical battle, I don't think they, they rallied the arms and tried to fight Rome. I'm going to get into that. But they had prayer. You notice what else they had? This kind of community was marked by these things. They were marked by zeal. Zeal is an old way of saying excitement. Zeal is excitement, right? They had zeal. They had excitement. They had love. They had devotion. They had care. They cared for everybody. They had growth. People wanted to be a part of what they were doing. Did you notice that? And the Lord added to them. People wanted to be a part of what they were doing. They were selling possessions to take care of each other. They fully understood that the money in their bank accounts, the cars in their garages, they fully understand the clothes on their back were not theirs, but they were given to them by God to be an asset in the kingdom. They gave it away to those who had need. Think about how revolutionary that would be in our culture, where if we knew had a need in our community, and we do this very, very well. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying we don't do this well. I'm saying we could do this better. We can always improve here. Some of us really do that well. I think about a situation this week where my wife, if you don't know this, I usually find this in marriages. One of you is a saver, and the other one go, is go crazy, have fun. And you've got to have each other, praise God. Amen. Like, I'm the saver. Emily is go crazy, have fun. And she's really changed a lot in our lives. But also with that, here, stay with me here. I am also, I'm not a natural giver. I'm not. Just being transparent with you, not just me thinking, how dare he? I'm just being honest with you. I'm not a person who my antennas are going off, spidey senses tingling. Like, I want to give, give. I'm just not that way. My wife is like, hey, that guy needs a leg. Cut your leg off and give it to him. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, she's that, she's, she just is. Emily, I love her. I kid you not. If she had two pancakes, you had none, she'd say, take the two. She would. Some of y'all don't know this. She is, I'm just telling you, she is that way. So I was getting ready to leave work the other morning, and she said, hey, Jess needs a phone charger. And I thought, she does. I'm sure she does. Uh, and she said, well, you're going to take it to her. And I said, you're right. 
you know, I, I'm already late, but let's be later, Donnie. You know, what's late? And so I grab it, you know, but she was just, she, her antennas are always going off. Like, I could help this, and I could do this, I could do that. She is all about just giving. And that's good for us. Why? Because we've got to balance each other out. Because let me tell you, if both of you are giving, you're both broke. Let's just be honest, right? And let me tell you, if some of you think, if we're so much like, if both of us are the exact same, why do you need each other? You've got to have balance, right? You've got to have it. You've got to have like one who's just crazy and one that's just like, no, we're not doing anything. Emily calls me the fun sucker. Uh, you know what I mean? Like she'll have fun, she'll have fun and plans and all this other stuff. I'm like, how much does it cost? Uh, you've got to have that. You've got to have giving. But this church, did you pay attention here? They were marked by generosity. Can you fathom if our church was the kind of church where some of you maybe that you've, you've got a car that's just sitting there and you're thinking, I'm just going to have it just in case you've got a third car in your house. Can you imagine if like a single mom in our congregation couldn't have a car and you just gave it to her? Can you fathom that kind of generosity? Can you fathom the kind of generosity where you've had, found out a need and said, hey, we're just going to take care of it. We're just going to take care of it. Whatever it is, we're just going to take care of it. Can you fathom that kind of generosity? That's the kind of generosity that gets people's attention. They were marked by generosity. I'm going to keep on going here. In this growth, this kind of atmosphere of zeal, love, care, growth, devotion, this kind of fellowship atmosphere, it attracts attention. And this is why, in our modern context, this is why people are loyal to bars. Stay with me here. I'm going to take you somewhere. Don't be raising your hand saying, I'm loyal to a bar. Do not confess. Not time for that. This is why people are devoted to bars. This is why people are devoted to sports teams. As long as I've known Chris Sauters, he has, he's had faith in Dallas. You know what I mean? Like he's always had faith. Even when they make horrible calls, he's like, I'm a Dallas man. He's devoted. No matter who the coach is, no matter who the quarterback is, he's devoted, Donnie. He's going to wear the jersey, even if they haven't won since he's been born. Just telling you straight. Just telling you straight. The fact of the matter is, guess what? He is devoted. Why? Because he wants to be a part of something that's bigger than himself. All of us on a human being level, as an image bearer of God, we want to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And you can find community, you can find fellowship at a bar, you can find community and fellowship at a football stadium, you can find community and the fellowship at the ball club, at the ball field, anywhere you're going to go, you can find those things. But let me tell you something, there is no substitute for the local church. Because at the end of the day, none of those things matter. I'm just going to be honest with you, none of those things really matter. They don't. I'll give you an idea. I could guarantee if I asked you for the past 10 years to name me every NBA championship winner, NFL Super Bowl champion, don't be chasing that rabbit in your head right now, you, would, you could hardly tell me who won for the past 10 years. You probably couldn't tell me. But in the moment, you're thinking, this is what we're all about. But let me tell you a name we all in here can remember, the name of Jesus. His name, his legacy, his kingdom will endure for a thousand generations. I love what the psalmist says, the grass and the fields may wither, but what the word of the, God, of the Lord stands forever. And God made you not to belong to a social elite club. God didn't make, make you to believe just to belong to those sports teams. And all those are good things. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying we should, you know, collect lint and live in our basements and only read the word of God in Greek and Hebrew. I'm not saying that. 
But what I'm saying is take all of that devotion and energy and zeal you have and pour that into the local church and see what God does. See what God does. They were devoted to all those things. In another verse here, I'm going to read Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35. Stay with me. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of their things belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony in the, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all, and there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to them that were sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was delivered distributed to each and every one who had need. Their deeds and their words matched. The words and their deeds matched each other. They didn't just say they cared, they showed they cared. I've got a very, very kind of traumatic story, but it's very powerful, so stay with me, please. Stay with me as best you can. In the Roman Empire, during that day and age, um, if you did not know, they did not value girls. They did not value fem females. So much so that if you go back into ancient um, historical work during that time period, that infanticide, the killing of babies, was through the roof. If you did not know this, this was really a massive pandemic during that day and age. Still to this day, on an overall global scale, girl babies are aborted vastly majority of the time more than males are, especially in China and other places where males are considered to be dominant and they want a male. They will kill a baby in the womb that's a girl more than they will if it's a male. This is just facts. In that time period, during the Roman time period, they had a thing that was called, I'll make sure I get it right so you understand, they called, they called it exposing them. That when a baby was born, and it was a girl, they had no way of knowing it was a girl or a boy before. When a baby was born and it was a girl, they would, they would sometimes say, we don't want this baby, we're going to expose this baby. And what this literally meant was they would take the baby as soon as the baby was born, knowing it was a girl, and they would put them outside the home or throw them in a ditch. I'm not lying to you. Place them in a ditch and leave the baby to die exposed to the elements. That's what they called it. They called it exposing the child. There's actually historical documents of a commander in the army writing to his wife and saying, if it's a boy, we will save it, we will keep it, we will cherish it, but if it's a girl, we will expose her. That's what they called it. Why did I tell you that? Why, would I make, why did I bring us all down thinking about this massive cultural issue, even a very hot topic in our modern day context? Did you know during that time period when Rome had its fist on the world, did you know during that time period when Rome was going through and killing Christians, did you know during that time period that Christian men and women adopted those babies? That the Romans would put them outside and guess what? Christian couples would come sweep them up and take care of those babies and nurse them and love them. And so here's what's pretty crazy. This is partially why Christianity exploded so much is because not only because people saw the love they had for the infants, but also because babies just multiplied in the Christian religion because they cared and loved for those who nobody else cared and loved for. That's powerful, right? That's the gospel not only with our words, that's the gospel with our actions. That's powerful, church. This is why the people who should be the most about these issues should be the people of God. Why? Because we know people are made in the image of God. This is why if you really do the research, adoption and foster care numbers are higher among Christians than they are any other religious group. Why? Because we should be people who are known by these things. Who are known by these things. 
because we believe that God not only calls us to love everyone well, but calls us to even love our neighbor well, even those who are in the wombs of another well. God calls us to do this. So not only should our words match our deeds, not only should we devote to these things, but also God has called us not only to be devoted to, but he's also equipped us to do something. He's equipped us. What do I mean by this? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints. Leave that verse up there, Joey. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Something that happened before I was born that many of you probably saw when you were a part of the Christian culture, when you were around here when you were a little kid, there was a syndrome called, I call it the holy man syndrome. Now, what do I mean by the holy man syndrome? Some of you might still believe this. You might think Pastor Nick is a holy man. You might think, Pastor Nick, he's, he, he can preach. He can talk to God better than I can. He is closer to God than I am. Look at me. I am not. I'm not. There are some churches still operate this way. They think if the pastor doesn't come to the hospital visit, then God's not going to be there. I'm being honest with you. They think that if you have an ingrown toenail or if you've got gout, the pastor better show up and pray. He better even lay hands on you, right? Because if Pastor Nick doesn't show up, then it's not real. And let me tell you something. Let me just be very, very honest with you. If you take the Bible seriously, if you take the Bible in the context it's written, did you pay attention to what the Apostle Paul wrote to this church at Ephesus? Look what he said here. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So if you really think about it, who is the major people group God uses to do ministry in the church? It's the saints. It's not the pastoral staff, but it's the regular church members that do the ministry. It is my job to equip you and to come alongside you, and to show you, but it's never my job to do all of the work. Because here's the thing, there are some of us in the pastoral field, this is my profession, this is what I will do till I die. It's cost me a lot, it's cost me my hair, right? Like it's cost me a lot in my life, it has, it cost me a lot. But the fact of the matter is, if you think that I can take care of every need in this church, then you are a fool. Because there's one of me, and that's it. And let me tell you something, I've actually, I've, here lately, it's, I've, people have lost, they've, I don't think they've lost respect, they're like, I can't believe you feel that way, but I always tell people, my chief responsibility is not to pastor this church. Look at you all right now, how dare he say that? No, my chief responsibility is to pastor my family, is to love my wife and love my family, love my, chi- my children, and then you guys are third. That's where you're at. So the fact of the matter is, that means, and you might say, well, I don't agree with that. Then you don't agree with Scripture. Because if I can't take care of my family, and I can't take care of our children, then I can't take care of you. Because let me tell you something, if I gain you but lose my family or lose my kids, I've lost. So it's my job to equip you. It's my job to teach you the Word of God so you can take the Word of God and do ministry in your context. Because let me tell you something, I can't go to the plants at Calvert. I'll get shot or tased trying to climb over the fence. But some of you, you've got a badge. You've got a badge and you scan in. Guess what? You can go. You're undercover. Nobody knows it but you. And you're there to share the gospel and to be an agent of the kingdom in your context. 
Guys, I can't be there. I can't go to the schools you're at. I can't go to the workplace you're at. You know, they don't know it, but we got a guy at Smith Contract, and they don't know it. They don't know it. We got a guy at the USGS, right? They don't know it. We've got a guy there. We've got a guy in all these places and all these organizations. We've got women that are teachers. We've got women that are nurses. We've got all these people spread out. Why? So God has placed you in those contexts to do ministry. To do ministry. Now, what I, you might say, well, what do you mean? You mean I should pull out my book stand in the conference room? Hear ye, hear ye. You're all going to hell and I know the way. It'll be bad, brother. It will not go good for you, sister. And I'm not saying you go around and say, naughty, naughty. Uh, you know, I'm not saying you do those things. What I am saying, stay with me, I'm saying you be salt and light in the context God has placed you in. Do you know what I mean by this? It could be as simple as, hey, if you have a coworker who's having a hard day, I mean a coworker, you can just tell they are distraught, they've been crying. You know what? Simple as this, church, you're saying, can we pray right now? Like, whatever you're going on, would it, would it bother you, would it offend you if we just prayed right here in this moment? Doing things like that where people see that you were there as salt and light. But here's the big difference, though. You got to stay with me because some of y'all, y'all about to get what I'm getting at. You can't act like them and expect to be a difference in that community. You can't do it. And this is where some of you get really, I, I know it because I, I'm telling you, you really need to understand that God expects us to be in the city, but not of the city. God expects you to be in the workforce, but not of the workforce. God expects you to be a teacher who works for that organization, but you're not to act like every other teacher in that organization. You're supposed to be different. And not in a difference where you're walking around, if it rains, you're going to drown. No, no, no. Not talking about that kind of difference. That means your nose is up. Some of y'all city folk, amen. <laughs> it just went boom. I mean, God expects us to be different. He equips us for the work of the ministry. He equips you to grow. He equips you to make a difference where you're at. You know what ministry really means? You can look up the definition for yourself. It means caring for another. So literally, the little breakdown, to minister to, means to care for another. God has called us to, make, to care for another. And here's the mindset in our modern-day context. Well, I'll leave it to the professionals. There are no professional Christians. There's not. There's no professionals. We're all just disciples. We're all Christians. We're all trying to do our best. There are some of us, though, like I've said before, who are called to this. This is my lifelong calling to be a pastor to God's church. But just because I'm called to that doesn't mean you're not called to anything. Because God has called you. I read this post on Facebook. Emily even screenshotted it. She wouldn't post it on hers, but she screenshotted it and sent it to me. Amen. Uh, it said, have the same expectations for your pastor as you have for yourself. So expect the same from yourself as you expect from your pastor. That'd be a good church to go to. We have that mind, you have that amount of expectation. Because here's the truth. This is the, this is what's, if you didn't know this, this is what really started the Reformation. Was Martin Luther, the founder that really started the Reformation, which is why you're here today, he really believed in something called the priesthood of all believers. That means, I guess what, God doesn't make just one of us a priest. God makes all of us priests. And the priesthood of all believers mean, guess what? That God has called each one of us to do ministry. All of us, God's called to do ministry. Right now, guess what? We've got people doing ministry in the back. 
ministering to little kids, giving them goldfish when they said they were the last one. We've got Martha, who's probably pouring her hair out downstairs right now. <laughs> downstairs ministering to your kids. We've got all these things our church is doing where we are ministering to the community. Because that's what God's called us to do. And the fact of the matter is, we're also called to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth in love. Now here's what I've noticed. We're really good sometimes at speaking the truth, but we're not loving. That's my spiritual gift. Gets me in trouble a lot. My wife would attest. I speak the truth, but it's not in love. I do with Esther all the time. She said, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. That doesn't work. But let me tell you the truth also. We get into, here's the problem most of us have. We either speak the truth, but we're not loving, or we are loving and not truthful. Some of you hear this way. You're so loving, you're like, I can't say the truth. Because that would be unloving. No, true love is saying the truth, but doing it lovingly. We've got to be full of grace and full of truth. Don't you see this with Jesus? Jesus is there at the local, uh, you know, water cooler looking for a drink of water. This woman walks up. She's like, how are you? He's like, it's hot, Don. You know, it's really hot. It's 110 out here. He's talking to her. And all of a sudden, she's talking to him. And he's like, if you talk to me, I can give you living water. I'm paraphrasing. Don't be thinking this is word for word. This is, this is the translation according to Nick, right? And uh, she's like talking to him. He says, uh, he's like, where's your husband? How dare you? Ask me where my husband is. And then what does Jesus do? Did he say, oh, your husband doesn't matter. This is about me and you connecting here. No, what does he say? He says, well, I've heard you had like five. He's loving and truthful. Do you see what he did? He beautifully weaves in the truth and love. He doesn't leave her in shame. He pulls her up from shame to show her the grace of the gospel. That's the thing people need to understand about Christ. Christ calls out your sin, but he doesn't leave you in your sin. He doesn't save you and say, don't change. No, he saves you and he changes you. He doesn't say, change and then I'll save you. No, he saves you, then he changes you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel, church. That's why we don't tell people, hey, you must change before you're allowed to come to our church. No, we want you to come so that the gospel can change you. That's the gospel. That's the truth of it. And you might be like, well, Pastor Nick, that all sounds good. That all sounds great. But where do I fit in? This is why the illustration Paul uses there at the end of Ephesians, he says like this, rather speaking the truth in love, which I already talked about that, we grow up in every way into him who is the head under Christ, from which the whole body joined and held together by every joint and marrow, a joint with which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow as it builds itself up in love. When each part is working properly, it grows up according to love. It grows up, right? That we are all parts of the body of Christ. So there is unity, but there's also diversity. There's unity and also diversity. Something I love about our church is we come from a very diverse order of backgrounds, right? All of us in here have very, very diverse jobs. We've got white collar, blue collar. 
They've got some of you, you live here locally, you live here in Livco. Some of you drive up from Marshall County. Some of you drive from further than that. Some of you drive from all over the place, right? Some of you have uh, really good family uh, heirlooms of like spiritual faith. Some of you, you're the first generation Christian, right? We've got a lot of diversity. Not only that, we've got also diversity of different cultures and, and skin colors and all kinds of different things. But here's the thing you need to understand. Even among our unified state, it's our diversity that makes us very special as the people of God. It's the diversity that makes us unique and special. Because our unity and diversity are what makes us beautiful. You know, I love, that's the truth about the gospel, what every tribe, nation, and tongue is going to be there. This is why, many of you, you really need to understand this, this is why for a Christian, we cannot be people who judge people by the color of their skin or by their culture or by their social economic background. Why? Because God has accepted all of us. God has loved all of us and accepted all of us and loved us all, right? Because we're all the children of God. Understanding that, right? Understanding that is critical here. We're all part of the body. And each one of our body parts does different things. And let me tell you, you might be thinking like your body's not that important, but let me tell you, when you're older and something goes out on your body, you start figuring out that part was valuable, right? You start figuring out, man, that thing don't work like it used to. Like it's crazy that the things you took for granted when you're young are the things you start appreciating when you get older. It's really part of it. I was even, like I told you, everything that's done in this building can be used as an illustration. We were sitting out of the front door, and all of a sudden I heard a boom, and Fallon had just fallen over. Just smacked her to the wall. She says, I lose my balance sometimes. I'm thinking, good Lord, come on, girl. What's going on? But I guarantee you, 10 years ago, that wouldn't have happened. You know, like over the course of time, things just change. 10 years ago, Rondell was black, right, gay? Up top. Now he's like salt and pepper, and it's mostly salt, brother. I love you. Salt coming in. He's like, I got hair. Uh, you know what I mean? Because the fact of the matter is, things change. I'm old enough now where this is 32. Things hurt. And I try to think, what did I do to make me hurt? Like, I'm at the age now, some of y'all are really laughing, some of you are older, where I can't reach back far in the back seat. It hurts. Like, I reach far, and I'm thinking, I can go further. No, I can't. No, I can't. Because things in your body, when they're not operating properly, cause you pain and discomfort. Everything in our church that is causing pain and discomfort in our ministry is because somebody is not in that place working properly. Because every ministry fulfillment we need, once again, I'll say it again, is in this room. Everybody we need to do ministry successfully is in this room. Now, you might not be in the proper place, but you're in this building, and God is waiting. God is longing for you to plug in and be a part of the body. God is longing for you to be part. God is longing not for you to be a consumer, but to be a contributor. You know what consumers do? Consumers say, hey, I will come, and I will only come when you fill my needs. What, is the, what do you do when you contribute? You contribute, you say, I will come here and fill needs. And even when I'm not feeling these, I'm still going to come. You look to serve, you don't look to be served. And when all of us show up to serve instead of being served, that's called a community. That's called a community. And when that starts happening, a community happens, guess what? Growth starts naturally occurring. It's pretty profound, but growth naturally starts occurring. Paul goes on to kind of flesh this out in 1 Corinthians. 
And it really talks about how the foot can't say the hand. I'm not going to be a foot no more because you're a hand and I want to be a hand. And I always want to be a hand. Guys, let's be honest with you. Some of us, let's just be honest, there are things I long to do, but that's not my gift. That's not my gift. My gift is, this is going to blow something else's mind, I'm not good, crazy good with tiny, small children. I'm just not good. God has not equipped me to do well with tiny, small children. My wife is patient and smooth and caring and full of grace. With, it's, she has trouble with big children, amen, some of you guys. I love you. Like, she doesn't do well with the adult children, but she just really, really good with the small children. I do well with the adult kids. Like, I can talk to adults all day long. I can, I can go into conflict and kind of handle it the best I can. But we all have different giftings. And you can spend a lot of time looking at your life saying, I wish I had those giftings, when that's just not the truth. That's not your gift, sister. That's not your gift, brother. But God has gifted you. And we need those gifts. They're all make our community work. Because if everybody was a plumber, guess what? We'd have no electricity in Christ today, amen. But if everybody's an electrician and we had no plumbers, we'd have no water, right? And you might think, what does that have to do? That get, you're, hopefully you're seeing what I'm trying to get you to see. It takes everybody from different trades, different skill sets to come together to make a beautiful thing. But when you sit back on the sidelines, you're like a little kid who takes his, takes his ball and goes home. You're not playing my game, I'm going to go home. And the fact of the matter is you've been equipped to do ministry. You've been equipped, you've been called, you've been gifted to do ministry. Several years ago, I um, was in the gym, and I was doing a workout. I was doing a deadlift, and I would love to tell you it was a massive amount of weight. It was not. Uh, and I went up, and I felt a pop. And as soon as it happened, I knew it was on my left hip, and I was like, oh, man, it didn't hurt. It hurt pretty good. And I said, I need to quit and go home, put ice on it. It did not quit hurting. Like, it did not quit hurting. And still to this day, if you did not know this, I mean, I have a bad hip. My left hip is still pretty bad. I don't know what's going on. They say it's my like IT band is swollen. It's just part of life here on out. And um, I said all that to say this a couple years ago, it quit. It hurt so bad. I thought I need to go to the chiropractor. I just need to go. I need to go to the chiropractor. And I went to the chiropractor and I laid on the table. If you've never been before, it's a gift of God. They have those gifts. Amen. And he was looking at me and he was examining me and he was doing this and taking my joints and working them. And he did some x-rays, did all kinds of things. And he had me on the table, and he was looking at me, and he said, your hip hurts, right? And I said, yeah, that's why I'm here. And he kept looking down at my ankle, and I was like, bro, my feet look great. <laughs> I was like, it's just focused on my daggum hip. Like, I don't know what's going on with you, but I'm here for my hip. And Don, he kept looking, though. He kept looking down. And he finally, at the end of about five minutes of me examining, he said, when did you hurt your ankle? And I was like, do you know my bank account number? How do you know I hurt my ankle? He said, well, I can tell you've, you've heard it before. And several years ago, I had sprained my ankle really, really bad. Like, really enough, where I have a picture on my phone where it was all black. Like, it was so bad sprained, he said, you should have broke it. Because it would have been better if you'd broke it than you sprained it. And I said, what in the world does that have to do with my hip? He said, well, you don't understand is because when you were younger, you didn't allow your ankle to heal properly, that your hip for several years was bearing more weight than it should have bore because you were favoring that ankle. And all the while, he was telling me all those things. He said, but because one body part was not operating correctly, it damaged other body parts. 
He said, if you had taken the time to let it heal, if you had taken time to do the proper steps of, you know, physical therapy, they said, but I was young and dumb, like, I don't need no physical therapy, I just want your money. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, all the lie. He said, if you would have taken the time to do what you should have done, your hip probably would have never been damaged, but because you didn't take the time to heal properly from one injury, it resulted in another injury. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to align your hips back in proper alignment with the rest of your body so your body will function properly. And there are some of you, I love you enough to tell you this, the reason why maybe our church isn't being successful as we need to be in the ministry aspect is because you're out of line with the body. You're out of line with what God's trying to do here. And the best thing our great physician, our great chiropractor Christ can do, using the Holy Spirit, is pop you back in line. If you've ever been before, it hurts a little bit when they pop you. But let me tell you, you walk out of there, man, I feel good. Feel really good because your body is back in a line like it should have been in the first place. I wonder how many of you, if you were to be honest, you've really understood, you've really seen it that church for you has become a thing you go to instead of a people you belong to. I wonder how many of you that you look for excuses to not come to church and you look for reasons to be here. Let me tell you, every Sunday, you might think, well, Pastor Nick, it's easy for you. Let me tell you, there's some Sundays, me and him, we got be like, we can do this. We can push through for an hour or two and just get here. But we've committed to this place. I've committed to you. You've committed to me. We've, we're in a fellowship. We're in a relationship. Where we've committed to be here through thick and thin for each other. We've committed to this. And for you that are here, you're, you're a member here. You're not just a, just to come. And some of you think, well, I'm not going to be a member because you'll hold me to a higher standard. Guys, that's not right either. Because this is the organism which God has choose to work throughout to bless the world. This is church. It's only the church. That's his plan A. There's no plan B. What about those nonprofits? They're nonprofits. They're not the church. The church is the organization God has choose to work through to bless the world. And if you're a Christian and you're not a part of a church, I would question whether you're a Christian or not. I'd be, be flat out honest with you. Because if you take out a part of my body and stick it out beside my body, it's going to die because it's not plugged into the body. The fact of the matter is, God has made you and saved you, not just to be, not apart from sin, to pull you away from sin, but he's also saved you to be a part of the people. And I know some of you, they're fancy theological people. I'm a part of the universal church. No, God has not only made us a part of a universal church, but he's also made you a part of be, a, be a part of a local church. A local church. Pastor Nick, what's local? I firmly believe local is you can physically go there. Some of you, I'm a part of a church online. You can watch pay-per-view online. You can't be a part of a church online can't do it because they can't be your pastor they can't be your people they can't be your family think about emily every every afternoon i say hey we're just gonna do this virtual thing i'm gonna leave and live with someone else but i'm gonna zoom in for dinner i'm gonna zoom in for you know we go on car trips just spin me around daddy's here but he's not it would not work If it doesn't work in that, it should not work in this. I would highly encourage you to be a part of a local church. 
Because God wants you to be devoted to, and he wants to equip you to be a part of a committed community for life. Until death do I part, I'm going to be a part of these people. Until God moves me. Let me tell you something. God moving you is not you getting your feelings hurt. I feel like God's spirit was leading me. No, Karen, you got your feelings hurt. Not that Karen, amen. Uh, but you got your feelings hurt. And if you get your feelings hurt, guess what? Get in line. That's part of being in a relationship. Because the fact of the matter is, God has saved you and God has changed you and God wants you to be a part of a family. And every family's jacked up. Every family has that one person that everybody knows is really jacked up. You might think, we don't have anybody like that in our family. Everybody has a family member. But there's that one who's really jacked up. And they leave more love and care. But God has saved you to be a part of that. So once you commit and be a part of a local body of believers, a community that people preach the word of God, people actually live out the word of God, and let's be a part of it. Let's be committed to it. And if you're out of alignment, pray that God puts you back in alignment so we can do ministry properly here at CBC. I love you.